Welcome to Just One Q, the podcast where we explore the latest ideas in workplace diversity, equity, and inclusion in conversation with thought leaders and DEI experts. Each episode, I ask our guests just one question highlighting their area of expertise in DEI. The goal is to leave you with the tools and insights that you need to drive change in your own life, both personally and professionally. I'm your host, Dominique Attrell. I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion educator and advocate working for the DEI and e-learning consultancy Dialectic in Guelph, Ontario. On this week's episode, I am joined by Micah Lawrence. Micah is the owner of Tailored Consulting, a company that specializes in leadership and team development training, coaching, and consulting. He uses the Clifton Strengths or Strengths Finder assessments as a foundational tool in his work to help leaders improve productivity, communication, retention, job satisfaction, and engagement on their teams. Micah is an ICF certified coach, a Gallup certified Clifton Strengths coach, and an expert facilitator. And he has years of experience facilitating and coaching at a Fortune 100 company. And he thoroughly enjoys delivering workshops and keynote presentations. So hello, Micah. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Dominique. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this today. Awesome. So today, the question that we're going to explore together is, can assessment tools like Clifton Strengths contribute to a DEI culture? And we're talking about this because assessment tools like Clifton Strengths, which is also known as Strengths Finder, are pretty widely used. Clifton Strengths is, you know, one of these leadership or employee assessment tools. And our listeners may have also heard of things like the Seville assessments or Mind Tools Leadership Skills Assessment or Question Pro or more general ones like the Myers-Briggs type indicator, which have really broken into the public consciousness, I'd say. That's a good, you know, a good party trick is being able to assess people's Myers. Oh, yeah. Type. <laughs> I <laughs> had somebody I had somebody do that to me and I was mortified, you know, within 10 minutes of, of chatting. They're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's INFJ. Just putting that uh-huh. out there in case anybody needs to know. You, you were mortified because it pegged you because oh, they yeah. knew too much about you. OK. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> these can do that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so but these, of course, are not the standard tools of DEI. So when we're talking about achieving diversity, equity, and inclusion for typically underrepresented or underserved groups in the workplace, we don't usually reach for a strengths assessment. So what I'm hoping to do with this conversation today is just to explore first how these tools can be used to shift the culture of an organization in a way that supports DEI. And second, what specific DEI considerations coaches and facilitators should keep in mind when they're using these tools with employees. So Micah, let's start this way. When you're working with organizations as a consultant, what kinds of problems are you typically trying to address? Yeah, that's a that's a great question and I'll I'll add too that I've been using the Clifton Strengths assessment in my work for about a little over 8 years now mm-hmm. and it's only occurred to me within the last year that this could be a useful supplemental tool for DEI conversations in addition to what companies are already using. So mm-hmm. that even just that statement that you made is very much in line with my own experience using this tool. And that's part of why I'm excited about having this conversation to explore that a little bit more. But most of the time when I'm engaging with companies and we're trying to address certain problems that they're experiencing or issues they're experiencing, sometimes it's with teams who are absolutely crushing it and just 
want to take things to the next level. But I would say that's probably the exception more than the rule. Usually anything that you would consider an impediment to leadership or team effectiveness, like regular conflict among team members, low trust with colleagues or with leadership is actually really common, low psychological safety, or really anything that might contribute to a toxic culture or team dysfunction. Those are the kinds of things that we address when working with most organizations. Right. And some of these problems also impede DEI initiatives in the workplace. Like when I hear you say workplaces that have low psychological safety can benefit from this, I'm thinking in my mind, yeah, low psychological safety also impacts the experience of more marginalized employees in that space, sometimes way more acutely than it does for, uh, for the average. So Absolutely. So I can see there's a tie in there in terms of just sort of raising the bottom, uh, raising the bar and addressing some of those issues of low trust on a team. So a lot of listeners, you know, might be familiar with Clifton Strengths assessments, but for those who are not, could you just briefly explain what it is and what individuals and teams can learn from it? Yes. Yeah. No, I'd love to. And that's, it's funny. There are, I often, will work with teams. And I like to, when I'm meeting with the team for the first time, I like to get kind of people to raise their hand and say, have you heard this before? Have you taken it before? And it seems to be 50-50. Half Mm. of the people that I work with have heard of it before and half of them haven't. And sometimes they'll look at their coworker like, oh, I didn't know that you'd done this before, but most people don't remember it. So any opportunity I have to remind people, so even people who have heard of this before and of your listeners, I think it's always a good reminder to reflect on where this came from and what it's used for. So way back in the 1960s, a man named Don Clifton had the idea to challenge the traditional approach to personal and professional development. So while everyone else was publishing work about deficiency-based development or development where we focus on our weaknesses, Don Clifton said, what if we studied what's right with people Mm -hmm. instead of focusing on what's wrong with them? And that led to decades of research where his team, which would later become Gallup, that's what most people hear when they hear the Clifton Strengths or Strengths Finder. They know that it comes from Gallup. They merged later. So Don Clifton's team, while they were studying this starting back in the 60s, studied some of the most successful people in various fields. And they determined that there were 34 different talent themes, is what they called them, that different people used to achieve great success. So One of my favorite things to talk about with teams is that while doing this research, they found that everybody has some of the strengths, but nobody has all of the strengths, which means that we need one another. It's actually really liberating to learn that nobody in the world has all 34 of these strengths. So it allows people to let go of that pressure to be all things to all people. And instead, I can look to others to be strong in the areas where I'm weak and be totally at peace with that. So that's one of the things I love most about using this in the workplace, but that's the short version of where the Clifton Strengths came from. Yeah, absolutely. So can you talk a little bit more about as an individual, what that might change for me, especially if I am a marginalized person in a workplace, what are some of the things that I might learn about myself and how can that help me? Yeah. So one of the things that's really fun for me about this is that we always start with the academic definition of what these strengths look like. And it's Gallup did the research that came up with these terms that they say the people that have these strengths tend to have these tendencies. Mm -hmm. And they encourage people, though, 
to explore what that looks like for themselves. And if I have these strengths, and this is what it looks like from an academic standpoint or a conceptual standpoint, what does it look like practically for me? And how does this show up in my life? So one of the things that I've seen people use it for is just being able to communicate to other people mm. in the workplace what these strengths look like for me so that they can understand me a little bit deeper. And that way, a lot of people struggle with assessments in general because they don't want to be put in a box. Yes. Don't don't stereotype me. Don't label me. And we agree. Gallup would agree too. We're not trying to put people in a box or stereotype people. We're trying to give them language to explain something about themselves that they've probably always known, yeah. but that either they didn't know how to explain it or they didn't realize that it needed to be explained because right. they we sometimes assume that other people think like us. And so just by having this common language, it gives teams and individuals more words to use to explain my uniqueness. This is how I might show up and how it might even be different from other people who have similar strengths as me. But for me, it looks like this. So I would say that's the biggest advantage is that it gives us a way to explain things to people about who I am, how I think, how my behaviors might be motivated by using a common language where sometimes people struggle to find that language without it. Yeah. And I can imagine that's quite useful for teams that it can resolve or just sort of that common language can help people to avert conflict and personality mm -hmm. clashes. And, oh, yeah. uh, and of course, I can see how identifying those strengths can also help managers make the best use of people on teams by giving them tasks and jobs that suit their particular strengths. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the more I've worked with leaders who over time become more and more familiar with the strengths and what the strengths their team members have or what their employees have. And I've seen that become easier and easier for leaders who learn this would be the perfect work assignment for this employee mm -hmm. because of their strengths, not because of other factors that might come into play. Mm -hmm. And so we've said it already, but this is not a DEI tool by design. Yeah. But could you speak to some of the general ways that it can shift the culture of an organization, that this sort of strength-based mm -hmm. approach uh, changes culture? Yeah, I love that question. And um, let's see. So two things come to mind. First and foremost, it's built into strengths-based language that our differences are a good thing. So mm -hmm. Gallup introduced five guiding principles with the Clifton Strengths that we include in our trainings with my company, one of which is that differences are an advantage. And mm -hmm. when you truly see others' differences as an advantage, not a problem in them to be fixed, it increases tolerance in your organizational culture. And that alone is a huge advantage. I actually remember this experience I had facilitating a group where it was a pretty small team. It was a tiger team. They were about to kick off a longer term project. And two members of this team were also on the same functional team in their organization. And as we were talking about everybody's strengths and trying to understand how to get the most out of the members of this team over the lifetime of this project, one of the strengths we were talking about was called focus. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about it because one of the members of the team had focus. And people with high focus tend to be really good at being single-minded about the most important thing that they're working on. And that often means that when they get into a state of flow or they get in the zone, they limit distractions or they can really filter out distractions around them. And you could walk up to them and say their name 
and they wouldn't hear you because they've gotten into that state of flow or that, oh, that, I wish. that place yeah. place of focus, right? So some yeah. people have it <laughs> and some people don't. And I remember as I was addressing this person that did have focus and we were digging into it and making sense of it and he was sharing what that looks like for him. I heard an audible from the other side of the room. I heard an audible, oh, and I paused what we were doing and I looked at this other person and just said, do you mind sharing what just happened in your brain? Like, what was that connection that you just made about your coworker? And uh, another member of his team shared that there was this time he walked up to this coworker with focus who was sitting at his desk in the middle, obviously in the middle of something, typing, face in his screen. And he said his name, his name was Doug. He said his name like four times, Doug, hey, Doug. Doug. And when he finally got his attention, Doug kind of like looks up at him and <laughs> he asks, he asks Doug his question, but he had this blank stare. And when he finished asking the question, Doug responded with the answer and then didn't say a word, but turned right back to his screen, went right back to his work. And in, in the moment, this coworker was like, what just happened? That was yeah. so rude. Yeah. And he thought it was something that Doug should have known better that I needed his attention. I had a problem to be solved. And that was kind of a rude way to respond to me. But after talking about it from a strengths perspective, he kind of flipped it on himself. And he said, I can see how I was the one disrupting him right. because he has high focus. And I understand that about him now. I was interrupting his flow. I came to him and I presumed that my need was more important than his. And so all of a sudden, the perspective about, about somebody's problem, mm -hmm. something that he thought was rude, mm -hmm. actually now was perceived as being coming from a place of strength. And he thought of ways, how can I honor Doug's focus in the future and to only bring problems to him that really do need immediate attention so as not to interrupt him when he's in that moment of flow. And it's just, it's a cool way to shift people's mindset yeah. from yeah. that thing you do bothers me to increasing our tolerance and seeing it as actually a good thing because it comes from a place of strength. Well, this sounds to me like empathy, right? It sounds yeah, like absolutely. Uh, having common language that encourages empathy among colleagues right. or, um, and, you know, we talk about, I do a lot of training on this, on the listening with empathy and approaching yeah. others with empathy and when unpacking a problem and trying to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. So the value that I see in this is that you have that common understanding and a foundation right. from which to start to do that because it's easy to say, and it's a lot harder to do. And I feel like any kind of, you know, hooks that we can give people to grab onto um, yeah. are helpful. It's a tool. It gives, yeah. yeah, it gives them something in their tool belt to use. And empathy is actually one of the 34 themes. It's one of the 34 strengths. Right. And not everybody has it naturally. It's right. actually, it's not one of the more common of the strengths. So creating tools for people to use empathy more in the workplace can be a really valuable thing. Cool. Oh, and uh, so this, the yeah. second thing, the second thing that came to mind that I would just say real quick is another big benefit is of using a tool like the Clifton Strengths is that it creates an environment in which everyone has strengths, mm -hmm. regardless of whether they face structural barriers because of racial identity, gender, disability, or some other difference. When everybody is seeing the strengths in others and assuming that everybody has them, and we have words to put uh, to explain people's strengths, it creates a more positive culture. And this is strengths-based development is actually a part of 
positive psychology or it fits under the umbrella of positive psychology, which can be uplifting to people in environments where they may not be used to being uplifted. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can imagine that for some people, like for racialized people, for example, who may have heard over the course of their lives that they have to be better to be equal, right? That suddenly having this, a strength-based approach to, to themselves could feel really good and to, and, and just be reassuring and maybe uncomfortable, you know, maybe if you're not used to your strengths or if you are steeped (laughs) in a culture where you're expected to be extra humble all the time, it could come as a bit of a shock to, to do this from a strengths lens. Um, I love that. And it should be affirming to people that you don't, you don't need to become anything. You don't need to be more humble or be, be more of an achiever. You already are a lot of good things. Mm -hmm. And we can put language to those good things that maybe you've seen as a liability in your past, Right. but we're actually going to, we're going to show what good is already in you and put words to it to explain those things. Right. And, you know, something else that came up in our, in our conversations earlier is that a tool like this can also really help people who experience marginalization on the basis of ability um, yeah. in particular. And you shared with me something about people who have, for example, ADHD or other mm-hmm. uh, learning differences. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about oh, yeah. how that works? Yes. Oh, I'd love to. So this is actually something that you can probably tell I'm excited to talk about this because yeah. in the eight years I've been working with this tool, this just occurred to me over the last probably 12 months or so that mm-hmm. I connected these dots. And it was that I've noticed that there are certain combinations of strengths that often show up in people who have ADHD. And mm-hmm. I've noticed another combination of totally different strengths that tend to show up in people who seem to struggle with anxiety and serious anxiety. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen that strengths combination. That's an indicator of ADHD. And um, without even saying anything about ADHD, I can ask sensitive questions to these people that I'm coaching and working with about what we could do to create an environment to help them limit distractions and be more productive at work. Mm. And when I ask that question that way, nine out of 10 times, and that I'm totally making that up, nine out of 10 times, (laughs) um, (laughs) when I ask that question, they volunteer that they're on medication for ADHD. And so it's like, I've been able to confirm that relationship between certain strengths and ADHD just through experience. And they're so engaged in this conversation because they feel seen Mm. and they crave support. So we can, we can talk about things like what can we do to improve your environment to limit distractions and be more productive, but it's not about ADHD. It's about the environment that helps them be more productive and limit distractions. And I just love it when this happens because we can talk openly about how there are actually some really powerful benefits of having these strengths. Mm -hmm. And it might just be the first time in this person's life that they see their ADHD as an asset, not just a liability. And I actually have, I actually have a free online resource I can share with your listeners that gives four questions, including this one about limiting distractions. That can be a good catalyst for discussion about differences and accommodation people might need without relying on a diagnosis or Mm -hmm. using these words that maybe have a negative connotation like anxiety and ADHD. Right. That's amazing. And I'm happy to link to that in the show notes. But I, I love this idea about getting away from 
the medicalization or pathologizing of certain mm-hmm. ways of being and really coming at that from a strengths-based approach so that it's not, you know, an employee necessarily seeking accommodation from a place of weakness, but rather being able to engage in a conversation from a place of strength. And I think that's very valuable. Um yeah. Now, with all of this in mind, I do want to take a minute just to talk about some of the critiques that exist of Clifton Strengths mm-hmm. and of these types of assessment tools in general. And this is something that, you know, in our early conversations in preparation for this this podcast, I did a little bit of digging around just to see what I could find. And something that came up for me is this critique. And I think the best way for me to articulate it is just to read something that somebody else has written. So sure. um Dr. Nick Fusilier and Lauren Irwin wrote a paper looking at the application of Clifton Strengths, specifically in the context of higher education. And they were drawing on the work of Dr. John Dugan. And they wrote that essentially uh, it, and I'll quote it, ignores the ways that race shapes reality and lived experiences positioning talent themes as universal and focusing on individuals' ability to develop and apply their talents ignores how talents may be differently understood or received based on identities such as race and social location. And then they go on to say that, you know, the strength assessment doesn't necessarily consider barriers that people with Mm -hmm. uh, minoritized racial ability, religious, gender, and sexual identities experience in the workplace. Yeah. Um, so I would love to just get your take on this critique in general. And then what I'd like to do is maybe we can together dive into some ways to mitigate the risks of this tool in practice. Um, yeah, I love that. Okay. So part of the reason I, and you mentioned that we talk about this, I, I love having these kinds of conversations and I've actually, um, talk to people who have concerns about assessments like this in general. I've read a few articles that address critiques about the Clifton Strengths assessment, or really it, it was more about strengths-based development as a whole. And um, I love talking about this stuff mm-hmm. because I don't I don't think anybody should use tools blindly, that we should assume that they're, they're a silver bullet or that they can solve all problems and that we need to be aware of the dangers of making assumptions about people if we do use something like this as a way to stereotype or label others. So yeah. Um, yeah, let's let's dig into that. I would say, so a couple of thoughts come to mind. Anytime I've had candid conversations with people about their concerns with Clifton Strengths or Strengths-based development as a whole, it almost always comes down to what I would consider as a misunderstanding of how this tool is intended to be used. Okay. I think we could we could address most of those critiques by helping people understand that these strengths are not intended to be seen as conclusive. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is that we should be using these strengths as a starting point to better understand different ways that people think, feel, and behave in general. I mean, this research is very well-respected research. Over 30 million people in over 100 countries have taken this assessment without any significant discrepancies in how these natural strengths are interpreted across borders or across countries and cultures. So that being said, Gallup will be the first to say that there should always be freedom for people to explore what these strengths mean for them and even disagree if they've noticed that one of their strengths is different from what the textbook says these strengths mean. In fact, there's one in 33 million chance that any two people would have the same top five strengths Mm -hmm. in the same order. 
So we actually encourage that people explore what these strengths look like for them because they might show up differently than other people who have even some of the same strengths, right? right. Does that, so that's, I have another thought too, but what are your thoughts on that? Does that strike you as anything that, um, like, what do you draw from, from my thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that that's definitely um, what I'm drawing from it is that it's a starting point, that mm. it's the important thing is the conversation and that maybe the dangers of stereotyping somebody or making assumptions about how they interpret their strengths in the context of their own culture, for example, we just need to mitigate that. And so I would see that as a starting point, yes, we all have these strengths, everybody can participate in the assessment, but then what does it mean to you is, Mm -hmm. and I think this comes in at the point of maybe facilitation or coaching, right? Where it's an invitation to sort of explore that and ask the question rather than having a closed approach and, uh, and assessing people kind of closed-mindedly on the basis of just, you know, their top five or whatever. Love it. Oh man. So well said. And that's, I mentioned earlier, one of the guiding principles was that differences are an advantage that that comes Mm -hmm. kind of with the material. Now, one of the others is that these themes are neutral. We shouldn't treat them as good or bad. They're just the way that some people think and, and feel and behave. And then the third is that we don't use these as labels. And I think that that is one of the things that's misinterpreted because most of the time this tool is introduced to companies and school settings without any context. It's like, hey, go take this assessment. Right. And then we we take it and we get the results and we're just left kind of to our own interpretation. Well, now what do I do with this? Or what yeah. how am I supposed to use this in a in a healthy way. And most people don't get that training, which is what I tell leaders when I come into their organizations is we're actually going to start with the very basics of this. We're going to cover those five guiding principles. And we're going to make sure that you understand how to use just like any tool. We don't put 16 year olds in the United States. We don't put them in a car, give them a license and say, good luck. Mm -hmm. We send them through training and we teach them how to use such a powerful tool like a car Mm -hmm. before we really send them off to apply that tool. And it can be a really powerful thing for good, but a car can also be a really powerful thing and a dangerous thing and cause harm. And that's the same with the Clifton Strengths Assessment. If you're not given the training and the and understand a healthy mindset behind when is it appropriate to use this tool and how do I avoid using it as a label and actually keeping that mindset right. that our differences are a good thing and an advantage. So a lot of it, I think, comes down to are people trained to use this tool yeah. in the fundamental ways that make it effective? Yeah, absolutely. And I can see another sort of danger of a tool like this is that if we hyper-focus on that, or we have a closed-minded approach to you know evaluating somebody based on their top five, we might sort of boil down diversity to mm-hmm. just a diversity of top five strengths, for example, and yes. and apply that to something yeah. like hiring, for example. And all of a sudden Oof. you have, yeah. you, you know, you might be excluding people from yeah. different races, different cultures, genders, religions, and other types of expression. And so there's sort of this, this danger of overemphasizing the results uh-huh. of a test like this. And, yeah, totally and, agree. Yeah, so... I guess there's no, I can't really ask you for an answer, but maybe this is just a useful thing for people to consider as they mm-hmm. use this in the context of DEI. Yes, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because I wouldn't know what percentage to give this, but many, many leaders that I work with after they realize 
the power of having this language to use to understand their people and how mm-hmm. to motivate different people coming from different backgrounds and how strength can give us a starting point for conversation, how often that conversation turns to how do we use this in hiring or right. what are the gaps on my team that I can yeah. hire the right strengths to fill those gaps. And I'm always like, no, 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 we don't, mm. we don't do that. And Gallup actually says that too. Do not use this as a hiring tool, partly because of what you just said, mm. but also because you're making assumptions again, that yeah. people know how to leverage their strengths well, or that people who may have strengths that don't seem like a good fit for a certain role or a certain team, those might be some of your best performers. And you Mm -hmm. can't make assumptions about whether people can or can't do a job well or fit well with your team based on something like their strengths, because we need to get to know people as individuals. So I love that you brought that up because it is a temptation for a lot of leaders to go there and it should not be used as a hiring tool. Once they're on your team, because they have the skills and experience to do the job well, and you vetted them for those things, then we find out their strengths and we learn how to put them to use in the most practical way and productive way that's both good for your organization, but also good for the employee. Fantastic. Actually, can I share one other thought about this that I think is really insightful for people to answer your question? And it was something you mentioned earlier that um, I think it's important to note that Gallup doesn't distinguish between strengths that have developed as a result of nature versus nurture. Mm, They mm. would say that for most people, it's going to be a combination of both. But there are certainly some people out there who might not have naturally had a certain strength if it weren't for the environment they grew up in or their culture or their community, et cetera. All of those things might have contributed to them developing what shows up in their top strengths, even if it wasn't natural to them. And so Gallup will say, we don't know. Maybe it, maybe this one was nature, maybe this one was nurture, but the reality is that through the self-assessment, this one scored really high. So it's an indicator that this is part of what you have to offer, part of the way that you think, feel, and behave, regardless of whether it was nature versus nurture. So that's, I think, why it's important to let people explore their own strengths and share with us their conclusions. We, we can never use a tool like this to stereotype or label just because we think we understand what certain strengths look like in others. Yeah, I love this. And I think, you know, even Gallup is acknowledging some of these risks. They are starting to produce guidelines for how to use the tool. I heard a really interesting interview Mm -hmm. on Gallup's own website with somebody named Roseanne Santos, and she is another Gallup certified coach. And she was talking about how to use these tools in the context of DEI. And something that she said that I really liked is just creating a moment in facilitation or in coaching to ask people, are your strengths celebrated or challenged in your culture or in society at large, given your identity? And just using that as a, a spot for people to be able to reflect. And then maybe we learn something about how people's strengths might be at odds with their culture or whether in the workplace, they feel pressures to be a certain way. And that can be a starting point for some really valuable conversations about fit and psychological safety. So I think so much of this just rests in the skill and the intention of the facilitator and proper use of the tool. So I really appreciate the way you've been able to highlight that. And I feel like, you know, we've done a good job bringing up the positives of the tool and also exploring its potential. And we've given people a lot of ideas for how to interpret the tool, how to use it in the context of DEI and to bring some of those considerations into play. 
So this is a fascinating area of work and I've learned a ton from our conversation oh, today. Good. So thank you yeah, so much. I love much. talking about this. No, it's my, my pleasure. And as we round the bend, I'll just encourage our listeners to just to reflect how their use of strength assessments fits into their DEI goals and to kind of do a little bit of deeper thinking about that relationship between the tools that we're using and our DEI approach. And of course, if you're curious about Micah's work, you can find a link to his website and his socials in the show notes. And Micah, I have a one last bonus question for you. Mm-hmm. Is there another person or organization's work that you like to amplify today? Yeah, that I was actually thinking about this. And, and there's somebody within my own network that went to my alma mater that I started following within the last couple of months that her name is Suzanne Lucas. And okay. she's known as the, the evil HR lady. And <laughs> I just love how she's she's in kind of an HR influencer as a whole, mm-hmm. but she is regularly bringing in DEI and belonging topics into her posts and just bringing a lot of awareness to the DEI conversation in a really what I consider organic and natural way. And so it's definitely somebody that I feel like is advancing a healthy conversation around DEI topics but in a way that is, I think, easy to align to. And so I would recommend her. Awesome. Well, thank you for the recommendation. We'll be sure to drop a link to her socials in the show notes as well and check her out. So Michael Lawrence, thank you so much for joining me today. And as always, I welcome any of our listeners to reach out to me if you'd like to be a featured guest on this podcast or if you'd like to sneakily nominate someone, you can find my email in the show notes. I'm Dominique Attrell. Thanks for listening. And see you next time on Just One Cue.